Um, but the kingdom of God is so amazing because the kingdom of God doesn't just have a king and a kingdom, but the kingdom of God has a culture. There's a culture, there's a way of doing things. You know, there's a belief system, there's, there's a discipline, there's practices, there, there are relational and uh, physical even boundaries um, to kingdoms. But a kingdom doesn't just have a king and a kingdom, it, it has a culture. And, you know, one of my favorite things about what God is doing here at Calvary Church is he is building a kingdom culture here. And we're not who we should be, but we're not who we used to be. And I I think that as we have changed and evolved, I think we've always been a generous church. I think we've always been these values that I'm going to share with you today. Many of you have heard these before as you've either gone through the growth track or I've shared them in years past. But I think we've always been these, these, these things, but I think as we continue to grow into these things, we become more and more like Jesus and we represent Jesus better, I think, every year. Don't you, don't you think we just represent Jesus better and better? And so I'm excited to kind of share with you this morning, uh, the reason those numbers look the way they do, the reason we steward our finances the way we do is because we have a, a set of core values, a way in which we operate. And believe, we believe that these are not just core values that we set up because we thought they were good ideas. We think these are kingdom ideas, kingdom of God ideas. And you know that in this world, the kingdom of God is warring against the kingdom of this world. There's a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness, and they're at war. They're at odds with each other. And the way people do things in the world are oftentimes very contrary to the way we do things in the church. And so I wanted to kind of share those things with you. If you turn to Matthew chapter five, real quick, Matthew chapter five, and I'm going to read a few verses here for you. Jesus uh, begins to teach here in Matthew chapter five, and he starts to share some, some aspects. And the whole gospel of Matthew is full of these thoughts of this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And what Jesus is doing is he's actually sharing with us that this is what the culture of heaven looks like. And when heaven meets earth, this is what you will see when heaven meets earth. So here in Matthew chapter five, I'm going to read from the new King James version, and I'm going to read the first 10 verses. Okay. So here we go. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them saying this, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Every church should have a vision. And, and I think more than a church having a vision, I think, I think a vision should have a church. In other words, I think there are a lot of churches that maybe have a vision, but I don't know that that vision has them. In other words, we maybe throw a statement up on a wall, but does that statement really infiltrate every part of what we do and why we do it? And for us as a church, our vision statement is this. We do all of this. All of this. We have church this morning. I'm talking to you now for this reason. So that people who are far from God 
can be brought near to God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we do all of this. And if you were here thinking we did this for any other reason, then that's our fault. We missed the point of telling you, hey, we're not here for any other reason than to make sure people who feel like they're far from God. And sometimes people who feel like they're far from God are not just unbelievers. Sometimes people who have grown up in church and know all about church can still feel like they're disconnected from God. And so the purpose of this church, the reason we exist is so that people in whatever condition they are in can come near to Jesus, come near through faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's why we exist. And so we have a vision. And that vision isn't something that we just have, but that vision has us. It's, it's the why behind what we do. It's the why behind our statement of faith. It's the why behind these core values that I'm going to share with you today. Because we have a vision, but these core values are the thing that give our vision its, its system of beliefs, our, our disciplines, our practices, our boundaries, so that we don't get outside of our vision and begin to do things that God has not called us to do. Now, the reason there are many different churches is because God has a plan for every single church. God has a purpose for every single church. And every single church's focus is not going to be the exact same thing, except for the focus of Jesus. But the focus of how they accomplish that is not always going to be the same. And sometimes people come to Calvary and they say, you know, they come to this new place and they say, and they say stuff like, well, they left a church or they got upset and they left somewhere. And they get here and, and they say, well, you know, they did this thing at my old church that I used to like, and I wish you guys would do it here. Can I just say to you, we are not your old church. <laughs> we are this new thing that God has put you in, and God has a vision for us. Can somebody help me out this morning? Because sometimes when we come into a new church, we like things from our old church, and we're wishing our new church would do things like our old church. And we're, we're saying, we're not your old church. God has a way for us to express the thing that he has called us to do. And so, and, and Amos is a very important scripture because Amos tells us this. It tells us that two people cannot walk together unless they agree. See, if we're going to walk together, we have to agree on the destination. But we don't just agree on the destination. We have to agree on how we're going to get there, what means of travel we're going to take to get there. Some people prefer a car. Some people want to fly. Some people want to get on a boat. Some people want to ride a bike. And so that's why you see so many different expressions in the church is because these things are not convictions. They are preferences. And does anybody follow me? And so we have a vision, but this vision is something that God has called us to accomplish in a specific way. No church should differ in the fact that the mission of the church is to win people for Jesus. But how they accomplish that, what focuses they have, how they reach their city, how they reach the world, it's going to be very unique. And so that's why I'm so thankful for the churches in Johnson City, Tennessee. I'm, I'm thankful for the churches in our region because they are not our competition. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ called to the same mission. They just are going about it a different way. And so I celebrate them and I believe many of them celebrate what God is doing here because we can do this if we do this together. But if we fight with the church down the street, then we've missed the point of the gospel. It's not about that. If we argue with the Baptists and argue with the Presbyterians and argue with the Methodists, we're never going to get anything done because a, a house divided, what, against itself cannot stand. And so I, I just refuse to see people of other denominations as, uh, as other people. 
They are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ out to accomplish the same mission, just in a different way. And we're thankful for them. All right. Can I give you these core values? Some of you have maybe heard this, these before. So you can have a great vision and have a bad culture. And Sam Chan says this all the time, that a bad culture will destroy a great vision every single time. So you can have a great vision, and we have this great vision of so people who are far from God can be brought near to God through faith and Jesus Christ. But if people come to church and we're just a mean bunch of people, then we're not going to accomplish that vision. We can have a great vision, but if we've got bad culture, then we'll never accomplish the vision. So here are the, the core values of Calvary Church, and I'll try to give these to you in just the next few moments. First one is this. We are all about people. We are all about people. People matter to God. They matter to God. Everyone, everyone, every single individual matters to God. We read that Jesus is so passionate about lost people that he will leave the 99 to go after the one. We're passionate about everyone, everyone, every color, every color, every condition. (laughs) Matthew chapter nine, verses 10 through 13. I'm gonna read this to you in the message version. It says this, Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers and a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. (laughs) When the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit and they lit into Jesus's followers. It's the first occurrence of lit being used in the world. It's right here, Just, just there for you. What kind of example is this from your teacher? Acting cozy with crooks and riffraff. Jesus overhearing shot back. Who needs a doctor? The healthy or the sick? Go figure out what this scripture means. Jesus says, I am after mercy, not religion. I am here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. Woo! That's heavy because one of the things that we refuse to do here is coddle to insiders. So in other words, if you have been here for a while and you like things the way they were when we did church in the 90s, it's in the 90s anymore. We're trying to reach a new generation that is rising up. So we're not going to coddle to your preference. We're going to invite, come on. We're going to do everything in our power to make sure people who have never felt welcome in church feel welcome. One of the things that Jesus was so passionate about was just invitation. Remember, remember when he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He didn't say, hey, come to my church. Hey, come to my denomination. Hey, hey, come to my service. He just said, hey, come. And he said, everybody, it doesn't matter what you look like, where you come from. He just said, come one, come all. Come to me and I will give you rest. (laughs) So Jesus is passionate about invitation. I tell our staff this all the time. I want to create an environment where lost people are inviting lost people to church. Wouldn't that be awesome? I, I heard this happen just a few weeks ago. Somebody came and it was their first time in church in forever. They had gone to church when they were little, but now they were just, they were kind of agnostic, not really believing. And a friend brought them in. And the next thing you know, they enjoyed it so much and they were so dealt with by God and experienced him so much that they left and went and told their unsaved friends. So here you got an agnostic inviting people 
to church. See, the New Testament is full of things like this. Sinners drew near to hear Jesus. One of the things that I, I want to want to say to you is this. I think an indicator that Jesus is in the house is the fact that sinners draw near to hear Jesus. So if there aren't sinners here, then that's a problem. That means Jesus isn't in the house. Jesus repelled the religious. <laughs> he repelled the religious and was constantly inviting to the sinner. So if, if you've got a problem being in church and sinners being around, then you're going to have a problem with this church. All right. Well, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. All this is me. Bless his holy name. We are passionate. Second one, we are passionate about generosity. Giving is obviously at the center of the gospel. Jesus gave his best and we will give nothing less. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, David said this. He was God wanted him to offer a sacrifice and he was told about a man who had the means to, for David to offer this sacrifice. And David went to this man and said, hey, I need this from you. I need a threshing floor. I need all of these things to make this sacrifice. And he said, here, take it. Just do whatever you need to. And David said, no, I can't take this. I will not offer unto God that which costs me nothing. We are passionate about being generous, not just with our money, but with our time and our gifts Come on, our talent, these things that God has put on the inside of us. We don't come to church to just sit in church. We are passionate about generosity. We are passionate about giving our time to the thing God is doing. I'm not going to come to God and offer God that which costs me nothing. Even if I don't have a dollar to give in the offering today, I've got a hug I can give. I've got a handshake I can give. I've got a word of encouragement I can give. I've got something to offer, and I'm not going to hold it in. I'm going to be generous with it, all right? There, there, was a, there was a time in Scripture in Exodus chapter 36, watch this, that the people of God were so generous that Moses had to tell them to stop giving. Stop. You've done too much. The need is met. Stop. I haven't had to do that yet, but I am excited for the day when we will be able to say the debts are paid. <laughs> All of the, everything is good. Now, now. Now, does that mean we stop tithing and giving? That's not, what it, that's not what it means. They didn't stop giving. They stopped giving to this particular project. The needs were met for this project. So don't interpret that, that we're going to get to a day where we stop giving. All right, just, just a heads up. Watch this. We are committed to excellence. We're committed to excellence. Excellence honors God and draws people. Excellence honors God and draws People In Daniel chapter 5 and in Daniel chapter 6, we read about Daniel. And the Bible tells us that this Daniel, he became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because he had an excellent spirit. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. We are, we are committed to excellence. Excellence is not perfection. Excellence is doing the best with what you have. It's doing the best you can with what you've been given. The Bible tells us that Daniel had this ability to interpret dreams, to solve problems. You know, problem solvers get promoted. God brings you to a church not to just point out its problems. 
Because it's got problems. Of course it's got problems. You're in it. Bless. Some of you get that when they go home today. But, but we, we obviously have problems. We know that. Every time somebody sends me a, an email or, or, or calls the church and complains about something, I'm like, I know. Tell me about it. I wish somebody would do something about that. Believe me. And so the point is, is it's not, it's not just, I mean, anybody can see problems, but God brings you into a church family to solve a problem. Every joint supplies. It's not the bad joint. You're the joint, not the other joint. Every joint. Somebody said, yes, it does. No, not that joint. See, we got sinners in church. Every when you've got a church like ours, you got to explain stuff. You say joint and everybody's like, oh, okay, I'm listening now. Like, what'd he say? Okay, all right. Every joint, every member, every part of the body supplies. You guys are wrong. Watch this. We are living by faith. We're living by faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Calvary, we will act on audacious faith always believing that the best is yet to come. Always believing that it is not over. Always believing that God is on our side. Always believing that he is for us. He is not against us. And because we believe that, we will do things that, that, that make no sense to the human mind. We will step out in faith and trust and believe God. We will live by faith. Another thought is that we are in this together. This is a value of ours. We were never meant to be alone. That's why we have, we have invested in bringing Mark and Debbie here um, because we just, we believe this. And it's one of those values that we have not, we have not really made a, the best effort in. And we have to do this because if we lose the core of who we are, then we lose our grip on the vision that God has for us. We were not meant to do this alone. Coming to church on a Sunday is not the fullest expression of our faith. It's not. We're supposed to do this. But even in Hebrews, when it tells us, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, it says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works, not, to, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's not just about going to church on Sunday. We, if all your, if, if your only expression of Christianity and your only expression of, of family and friendship and talking to brothers and sisters in Christ is on a Sunday morning, then you're missing the beauty of what God wants for you. He wants you to live in community and family and in relationship. You are not meant to walk alone. And lastly, we're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. We receive and give grace here at Calvary Church. We're not going to fight with each other. We are going to fight for each other. The Bible tells us that there is a command of blessing on unity. There's a command there. We're not going to be divisive. This is not a I pitch a fit and get my way, church. I get an attitude and I, 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 I get bitter. No, that defiles many. 
No, no, no. That's not how we operate. We are for each other. We are not against each other. If somebody offends us, what do we do? We make it right. We go to them and we talk to them. We confront the issue. We don't hide and stir and, and lash out and get angry and yell at people. Come on. We don't do that. We, we don't, we don't, we don't. Listen, listen, if, if somebody offends us and they don't do something, in other words, we, the, we, we're in the hallway and somebody, somebody talks to us wrong or we go to the hub and that day they don't have, you know, the, the coffee you want and it's, it, it tastes bad that day, you know, and, and the teacher was a little tired that day and, and you walk in and, and, and the things in that classroom seem out of order, a little bit chaotic. It, what that means is we're giving grace to one another. We understand that the people back there in those classrooms right now, they're not being paid to do this. They're volunteering to watch your kids because they love Jesus and they love children. They're not all professionals. Nobody's back there getting paid. They just love God. They're just, they're trying as, just as much as you. Maybe they got yelled at by their boss. Maybe their marriage is falling apart. Maybe their kids are not doing well. Maybe they're sick this morning. So we, we understand that everybody we meet is going through something. We have no idea what they're going through. So it's our job to give them the grace that they need. It's why Jesus came from heaven to earth to give us the grace that we need. He gives us grace. And the reason we give grace is because I can only give what I've been given. I can't, I can't deal in judgment because I haven't been judged by God. I, I should be, but he's accounted. He's, he's, he's made me righteous. <laughs> he's, he's made me holy in Jesus and he's forgiven my sins. And man, have I let God down? Absolutely. But he chooses to love me anyway. He chooses to pursue me anyway. He's not judging me. He's just pouring out his grace on me and say, I want you to know me more. I want you to know me better. Man, I can only give what I've been given. Will you stand with me this morning? I'll let you go. Second Peter chapter one, verses five through nine say this. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness. Peter's talking about this should be the culture of God's people. This should be the culture of God's house. You should, you should be growing in the grace of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you should be adding to your faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, love. Watch this. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, what he's saying if you claim you know Jesus, but you don't have self-control, then you're ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge. So if you come to church and you say you know God and you run around the building, but you go home and you're mean to people, <laughs> that's an ineffective faith. That's an unproductive knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ because to know Jesus is to be more gracious. To know Jesus is to have self-control. To know Jesus is to be kind. To know Jesus is to have affection and love. Amen.